once again. Father, we come to the time in the service where we, uh, we open your word. And uh, Father, I do pray that since a right understanding of your word is vital for our Christian life, that uh, you will guide me as I speak, that you'll open our, our hearts and give us understanding, that your Holy Spirit will enlighten us, and that you'll guide us to obey you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you would, turn to Matthew chapter... 8, and we're going to be looking at verses 23 to 27 in just a moment. Uh, As you're looking for that, I I want to ask just one question. Have you ever been afraid, as in terrified? Uh, uh, Okay, good, you're all honest. (laughs) Don't have to remind you of Revelation 21.8, which says all liars go to hell. But... um, (laughs) But, you know, we have all experienced... Fear. We have all occasionally been terrified at some point or another. Once uh, at the very first church after I, that I was at after seminary, when I was pastoring a very small church in East Tennessee, I mean, this is more than my average attendance <laughs> on, on a Sunday morning at that church. Uh, I remember looking back towards the back corner, which is, was a lot closer than the back corner in, in, in this building. And there was a guy that I had not seen at church before, and he had this look of utter terror upon his face. And beside him was a young lady who had been coming to our church for a while, and she had just this slight grin on her face. As it turned out... Um, This young lady, she'd been coming to our church the whole time that I was there from before that. She she was a uh, teaching assistant in the school system. uh, The the woman who was the teacher in the classroom where she was had brought her to church, and she had been very faithful to attend, and she was engaged to the young man who looked terrified. And... uh, This was East Tennessee, and in East Tennessee, the majority of uh, churches there are what we call Cumberland Presbyterian, and that's what this young man came from. If you don't know anything about Cumberland Presbyterian, uh, basically it's composed of people who were Presbyterian in Scotland when they signed the, the covenant and rebelled against King Charles. They were Presbyterian when they were forced to move to Northern Ireland. They stayed Presbyterian while the Irish Catholics shot at them. And they were Presbyterian when they got on the boat to come to North America. They were Presbyterian when they landed in North America. They were Presbyterian as they made their way across the Carolinas and over to Blue Ridge and through the Holston Valley and onto the Cumberland Plateau. And then they decided, we're going to stay Presbyterians and we're not going to be with any other Presbyterians, so we are Cumberland Presbyterians. And they didn't normally go to anyone else's church, as a matter of fact. So this young man, Cumberland Presbyterian, was in a Baptist church for the first time. And he asked his fiancée a question before coming to church. And his question was, this isn't one of those snake handling churches, is it? (laughs) Now, in East Tennessee, that is a perfectly good question to ask. Because in the southern Appalachians, there are several churches that understand some verses in Mark 16 in the same way we understand the Lord's Supper and and baptism. They understand that when Jesus said, 
you shall handle snakes and not die. You shall drink poison and, and not be harmed. They understand that as a command. So, this young man, before coming to church with his fiance, wanted to know, is this a snake handling church? And this was her answer. It's okay, we don't usually do that two weeks in a row. <laughs> so, as I'm preaching, I'm looking back there, and there's this young man who has this look of terror upon his face, looking at me when I was 50 pounds lighter and in my 20s and saying, he does look like one of those weirdos. <laughs> He had good reason based upon the information he had to be afraid. Fear has its uses as an emotion. It triggers certain things in our body and it enables us to react to genuine danger. Now, if a snake crawled out from under this pulpit, fear would kick in. And I would... Fear would tell me to do a few different things. One thing it might tell me that I would not do is pick it up and handle it and dance around the congregation with it. <laughs> but fear is a useful emotion because when danger comes, it's, it enables you to either run away very fast. It enables you to have extra strength to which to fight if that's the choice you have to make. Sadly, sometimes it can cause you to freeze. And for us, that's usually not the best option. But what does the Bible say about fear? Because fear, if it becomes a constant part of your life, if it becomes a controlling aspect of your life, it doesn't have the usefulness it should. And it usually leads you to be in a constant state of either wanting to run away or a constant state of being frozen or a constant state of being ready to fight. We live in a time when fear has become sort of the defining characteristic of our culture. It's an election year. And one of the primary ways that people are going to try to get you to vote for them is to make you more afraid of the other guy than they are of the, you are of them. You turn on the TV and they're trying to sell things and often they're appealing to fear, whether that is just simply fear of messing out or fear that if you don't get this product, you're going to be unsafe or unwell or something. We are encouraged to be in a state of fear. So we're going to look this morning at an incident from Jesus' life and ministry to help us understand. So let's look at verses 23 to 27. As he, Jesus, got into the boat, his disciples followed him. Suddenly a violent storm arose on the sea so that the boat was being swamped by the waves. But Jesus kept sleeping. So the disciples came and woke him up saying, Lord, save us, we're going to die. He said to them, why are you afraid? You have little faith. Then he got up and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was great calm. The men were amazed and asked, what kind of man is this? Even the winds and the sea obey him. 
Now, first, let me explain something about the nature of this miracle. There are times I drive across the Pensacola Bay Bridge, and I look out at the water, and I'm like, glad I'm not out there today. Because the winds are blowing, the waves are high, and then there's other days I drive by, and I'm like, man, I would love to be out there today, because it's almost smooth as glass. The nature of this miracle was that it went from waves this big to this instantly. It went from storm to calm in a moment with Jesus' word. But let's look at how this transpired and what took place. First thing to notice, the disciples were in this boat and thus in this storm because they were following Jesus. They were doing what disciples are supposed to do. They were following their teacher. They were following Jesus. In fact, the simple definition of discipleship is simply to follow Jesus. See, we have this misconception of discipleship in our churches that to be a disciple is to be a super Christian. And often the way we program things in church gives that impression because, you know, discipleship, you have to take extra classes. You have to do extra things. You have to be extra committed. There's a miscon- another misconception of discipleship that says it's optional. That as long as I'm here on Sunday mornings, I don't really have to do anything else. I'm faithful. I don't have to be a super Christian. I'm, I'm, I can just be basic, run-of-the-mill guy. But the truth is that every Christian is expected to follow Jesus and to obey him. The second thing to notice about this is that following Jesus is what led them into in a, to a dangerous situation to begin with. People have different fears. People have toler- different tolerances of different things. Uh, when I was a university student, my cousin and I, uh, we, we would commute to the campus every day from our hometown to save money. And um, he, he was a big guy, a football player. In fact, he became a football coach. He's an athletic director. He's now, a, I think he's a principal of a school somewhere in the Carolinas. And um, he, uh, just a big guy. You know, we'd go to see scary movies, and he'd just be putting away the popcorn calmly. You know, no problem. One day, we were, uh, we were taking a back way home, which involved going down a dirt, gravel road. And as we were going by this certain place, this, this group, flock, little flock of sparrows just flew up in front of the car. And he, if he could have fit underneath the glove compartment, that's where he would have been. I mean, he, he ducked down, he cried out. I looked at him, and I said, what's wrong? And he said, I'm scared of birds. And I said, why? <laughs> he said, when I was little, I went to my grandfather's chicken house, and the rooster got after me. Now, I must have been walking in the spirit that day, because I did not mock him incessantly. <laughs> you know, I, I tried to empathize. I said, well, you know, I'm scared of spiders. I'm not now, because... With children, evidently, I'm the only person in the house qualified to kill spiders. (laughs) 
But at that point in my life, I was scared of spiders. And, and, you know, he still ducked down. He looked up at me and he said, I can stomp a spider. Have you ever tried to stomp a chicken? (laughs) We have different fears. We have different levels of what we can tolerate. Some things that don't scare me would make you very nervous. There's some things that don't scare you that would scare me to death. What many of us fear is uncertainty. It's not knowing. We don't like to be in a circumstance or a situation where, you know, we don't know what's going to happen. Uh, you know, I've, I've seen this when, uh, you know, when I was a missionary and people would come for mission trips. The first thing I would give them is the schedule and itinerary of what we were going to do. I did that not because we were actually going to do that, that but because I knew they were Americans and they needed to have some sense where I knew what I was doing. <laughs> and they had to need to have some sense of knowing what was going to come. But the truth of the matter was... Uh, We were in another country where people had a different sense of time and a different sense of importance of things. And that schedule was about, uh, was planted firmly in midair. Sometimes we're reluctant to put ourselves in a situation where we don't know what's going to happen, where we're not in control. If I, if I ride in a car in which you're driving, I don't care how safe a driver you are, I am putting on the brakes when I see something slow down in front of me. And it's not because I don't trust your driving. Well, yes, it is. You know why? Because I'm not the one driving. I'm not in control. I hate flying. You want to know why? Because I'm not flying the plane. I don't know the guy. I don't know what he knows. And I'm not sure he knows what I think he ought to know. (laughs) We fear uncertainty. We fear not being in control. And these disciples followed Jesus onto a boat into the middle of a storm where they had absolutely no control. Some of these men in this group, they were fishermen. They had been on this body of water many, many times. They they had probably been through storms before, but this storm was different. This storm was more powerful than anything they had ever experienced. And they got there because they followed Jesus. Here's the point. Following Jesus will take you out of your comfort zone, and it may even put you in a place where you have fear. We, we, have, we, we often criticize the prosperity gospel preachers. You know, step one, step two, and you have your best life now. But many of us, Probably many of us in this room still have that sort of transactional relationship with God. God, I did this, you therefore owe me this. 
God, I obeyed you here, therefore you must bless me in this way. We expect it. We don't expect we follow God, obey God, and the bottom falls out. But the Bible over and over suggests that the Christian life characterized by obedience will bring suffering. Matthew describes this storm and the disciples' reaction in very interesting ways. In the Greek text, that word that's translated storm is not the typical word for storm. It's the word for earthquake. It's, It's a word that he usually used to describe the upheavals and terrors before the final days. The disciples pleas for rescue and their fear that they expressed, the fear that they were about to die were normally terms that he would that would be used in a spiritual sense for salvation and eternal destruction. So there's more going on here than just a storm. Many uh, Bible scholars look at that language and they say that Matthew's presenting this as more than a storm, he's presenting it as a spiritual and demonic attack on these disciples. And they were there because they followed Jesus. So they responded with fear. They woke Jesus up. And the fact that he was sleeping peacefully says something. You see, they were following Jesus because they had some expectation that uh, he was special. That he, he, was, he could be the Messiah. He was definitely someone God was using. God had a plan for Jesus, and they wanted to be in that plan. They wanted to follow Jesus wherever he went. And Jesus knew what the plan was. He knew he was the Messiah. He knew what he was going to do. He knew that his death would not be in, the, in that sea. So he's in the boat, sound asleep. They, in the meantime, have forgotten everything they thought and everything they believed and everything they thought they understood. And they were like, we are going to die. So when Jesus is woken up, his question to them is, why are you afraid? Why is your faith so small? Remember in the Old Testament, I believe it's Joshua 1.9 or so, God speaking to Joshua says, Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed, for I am with you wherever you go. The Hebrew language is a very concrete language, very much a word picture type of language. Those words, strong and courageous, they're not just concepts in Hebrew. They define something. When, he said, when God told Joshua, be strong, he's saying, what he is saying to him was, do things that show strength. When he's saying, be courageous, he's not saying, just have this feeling of, of bravery. He's saying, do things that are courageous. 
When he says, don't be frightened, he's saying, don't do things that, sh- that make you look like a coward. When he says, don't be dismayed, to put it in terminology I can best understand, he's saying, don't run around like a chicken with your head cut off. So when Jesus woke up and he said to them, why are you afraid? He's asking them, why are you acting like cowards? Where's your faith? Why are you doing the cowardly thing? Instead, where is your faith? So before he he rebukes the storm, he rebukes them. He says to them, why, were you, if, why are you here if you did not believe in me? Why did you even get on the boat? Why did you follow me? What happened to the faith that brought you this far? Why are you in despair now? In the Bible, the command to not fear is often accompanied by an assurance of God's presence. God said to Joshua, be strong and courageous, do not be frightened, do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And there in the boat, in the middle of the storm, in the place where he had led them, there was Jesus present with them. They didn't understand who he was yet, but they were about to. You see, Jesus calmed the storm, and that gave them cause to wonder. After all, who can calm a storm? As they're thinking through the Old Testament, Psalm 89, verses 8 through 9 Those verses say, Lord God of armies, who is strong like you, O Lord? Your faithfulness surrounds you. You rule the raging sea. When its waves surge, you still them. Who could calm the storm? Only God. Matthew, in this passage, really in what's surrounding the Stories of miracles and all that are surrounding this passage. He had one simple message. That message is Jesus is greater. Jesus is greater than the storm. Jesus is greater than the the demonic forces behind it. He is greater. Jesus would tell them later, don't fear those who kill the body but are not able to kill the soul. Rather, fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. There is only one simple point to this message. I don't have three points. And I I went to a Southern Baptist seminary, but I can't alliterate. Sorry. I failed that part of the class. But there's just one simple point. And it's simply this, you need to put your fears in order. Prioritize what you should fear the most. Like maybe, let me get out here somewhere. Like maybe spiders should be down here. 
because they, they can bite you. They can harm you. So they make the list. They should be down here. And then maybe birds. <laughs> because I got nothing. Never mind. Okay. And then, you know, poisonous snakes about right here. You know, and then someone breaking into your house to steal stuff. Wait a minute. That goes here. Snakes go here. Okay. Then someone, you know, breaking in your house to kill you. That would be higher. Then someone threatening to kill you because you believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. But even higher than that, way up above it all, the one you should fear is God. Because He's the one who has the power to destroy both body and soul in hell. But if you look at Him through His Word, You see that that power is not a power he wants to use on you. Because he loves you so much that he sent his son to die for you. That if you will believe in him, if you will trust in him, if you will look to him, he will save you. And he will give you life. You will have forgiveness from your sins. And Scripture says, this God who we rightfully fear, when we trust Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, we can go boldly into His presence. Why would you not follow Him? Because he might lead you someplace a bit dangerous. Because he might take you someplace where you might feel fear, where you might not be in control. If you are here this morning, you've never trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior. You're uncertain about your relationship with him. With all that God has done for you, with the life he's given you, with the life of Jesus Christ that was given for you, with the hope of the resurrection that Jesus gives us, why would you say no to him? Believer, is there something that you would hesitate to do because it makes you afraid. Because you're afraid of what would happen. Jesus does not promise us comfort. And when I've heard people in the past say the safest place is the center of God's will, I always want to say, well, define safe for me. Because safe may not be safe for my body, 
It may not be safe for my financial standing. It may not be safe for my well-being. But the promise of Scripture is that if God is there with us, we need not be afraid. So I invite you as believers to lay aside your fear. And I realize in a congregation like this, that there may be those who struggle with fear as a constant reality in your life. An uncontrollable feeling that overwhelms you, a sense of anxiety that never lets go of you. And I cannot promise you that, you know, you just say a prayer and it all goes away. But what I can promise you is that if you reach up to God in the midst of your fear, he'll be holding your hand. So tonight, today, whatever it is, it's dark in here. But today, will you follow God? Will you lead wherever he goes? If you need to trust him as your Lord and Savior, invite you to come. You can come down here and talk with me. I can, there's several people around here who would love to talk to you about that. If you are here and you're a believer and uh, you're hearing about things like a, a mission trip and you're like, oh, I'm not going to do that. That scared me to death. Well, maybe you need to rethink that. And if you're here and you're just overwhelmed by fear and you just need to pray, the altar's open. We invite you to do whatever you need to do at this moment. Right now, let's pray together. Father, you are God. And as your children, we have the assurance of your presence with us. If we have trusted Christ as Lord and Savior, your Holy Spirit indwells us, you are with us always. So, Father, whatever we need to do now, we pray that your Spirit will empower us to walk and to do your will and to be obedient to you. And I pray for those who are here this morning who may be uncertain of their salvation or they may just plain know they've never accepted Christ. Pray that your Spirit will work with them as well to draw them to yourself and to bring them to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.